You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. My name is CJ Wolf. I'm Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive. And today, I have a fabulous guest, guest Judith Fox. Welcome, Judith. Hi, how are you? Doing great. It's good to be here. Thank you for for joining us. Um, Judith and I um, connected again at the HCCA Compliance Conference as the two, you know, as compliance nerds that we are, right? Um, And had some some good conversations. You presented there, I presented there, and uh, we thought, hey, let's talk about some of the things that, that, that we that we spoke about there. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. But before we get to that, that conversation, Judith, would you mind sharing with our audience a little bit about yourself professionally and maybe a little of your background and what you're doing today in compliance? Oh, sure. I'd love to. Yeah. So I've been in compliance since about 1998. Prior to that, I was strictly a healthcare attorney. Okay. So I went to law school knowing that I wanted to be in, in healthcare law and like many other compliance officers, I just found myself um, all of a sudden in the role of a compliance officer without really knowing much about it. Right. So um, after, uh, yeah, after, you know, a lot of, a lot of us, you know, get into that. Yeah, who grows, who grows up other, wanting to be a compliance officer, right? Uh, well, I guess there are people now that do, but back yes. in 1998, <laughs> there were not a whole lot. That's so right. <laughs> I had been recruited, yeah, I'd been recruited by an um, integrated healthcare system that had a board that was heavily involved with the defense industry. So they were very familiar with compliance programs. And when I was brought on as attorney, um, they it was um, in those days, it was okay to have a, a dual role. Sure. And I was asked to Im- implement the program. And there were, you know, it was, it was a fully integrated system with three hospitals and all of the other services, you know, all the accoutrements that go along with that. And um, I was there for about 10 years and, and developed the system from scratch. Wow. And then from there, I, I had, you know, various other positions. But um, at one point, I was uh, contacted actually by a, a consulting firm that where I was a client uh, for them and uh, did some work for a few years on a consulting basis. Okay. And I decided more recently, uh, my last employed position was with a very large System, a national system that has uh, 11 campuses in Florida wow. and was resp- responsible for their compliance program. But I decided to go out on my own and I'm, I'm currently doing consulting and loving it. Great. And how long have you been I consulting? Do a, a, I've been doing uh, JF Real Compliance Solutions. I've been, let's see, it's two years now. I think I'm just celebrating my two-year anniversary Great. and I've I've um, yeah, I've served as interim compliance officer for a number of organizations, and okay. I perform effectiveness reviews and gap analysis. Awesome, excellent, and with a legal yeah, background, yeah, a lot of you, fun. Yeah, you've got all, all that legal experience and background. That's a it's a great uh, uh, area to come from in compliance. And 
Um, and you spoke recently at HCCA about the compliance committee. What a great topic. Um, how did you guys come up with that topic? What was, what was on your mind that uh, drove you to talk about that? Okay, I'm smiling because it's a, it's a subject that's really close to my heart. I really believe as a compliance officer that your compliance committee could be your best friend. Absolutely. You know, and if you have, if you have, you know, really, if you've got a good, functioning, engaged committee and members who, you know, A, show up, yes. B, participate, you know, C, are educated, uh, you can really kind of mm, move mountains in a way that, as a compliance officer within your own team, you can't really do that is um, so operationally. True. That is so true. Uh-huh. You know, and you know, some of us. And I don't know if this was your experience, but I've been in organizations where I had a really strong compliance committee, and other organizations where I didn't. And it is just night and day, just like you said, because a lot of that drive and that culture can be driven by the committee. And you're really supposed, as a compliance officer, you manage the day-to-day operations of the program, but compliance is owned by leadership. Exactly. And, but, but you can, as a compliance officer, you can really influence the committee. Yes. So, you know, I always, and, and I spoke about this at the conference where I think that, you know, they, they need to understand as committee members and senior leadership, you know, um, all, all across the board have to understand, in my opinion, that compliance adds value to the organization, yeah. that there really is a, you know, a return on investment. And, yeah. and, you know, the ways to do that, the ways to do that really is to show, you know, what, what are, what are the, the areas that they're concerned about, no matter what position they're in, they're concerned about quality of care, efficiency, you know, revenue, as well as, you know, lowering risk yeah, or absolutely. regulatory risk. Absolutely. So how do you engage senior leadership, you know, to actively support that committee's, you know, role and responsibility? So patience, yeah. <laughs> patience and a lot of guidance, a lot of, no, seriously, a lot of education and guidance. And I don't think it's something that could happen overnight. You know, I've been in um, short-term positions as interim, as a consultant, and I've been in long-term positions. And I think, how do I say, I think being very genuine and upfront is critical, uh, being authentic. Yeah. And not coming in as, as the compliance police. Yes. And and really, you know, having information that, that is, you know, ongoing, that it's meaningful, and that it's relevant to what they care about. Because I think to be engaged, senior leadership has to know, why do I care? Right. Why is it important that I'm involved? So it's going to hit home to them. Why is it important to them? Yeah. That implies, you know, that the compliance officer knows more than just compliance, meaning they know what senior leadership uh, is worried about, right? So maybe if you have a chief operations officer, if you have a chief nursing officer, or, you know, you you learn a little bit of what runs the organization and not just compliance. Do you think that's a big component of how a compliance officer can um, help engage senior leadership is by better understanding what makes their clock tick, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's a challenge because not all compliance officers, if if you're in a system that hasn't truly operationalized compliance, they may not understand that. And the compliance officer may not automatically have a seat at the table. That's a good point. You've got to, you've got to kind of, yeah, you've got to create those opportunities where you have a seat at the table. That's right. You know, so what I've done in the past is I, 
I try to get myself on agendas, you know, whether it be at director's meetings or operational meetings or committees and be, you know, a face that people know. And this goes back to the authenticity and, yes. and genuineness and just really have them understand who you are. And if you don't understand something operationally, go out to lunch with somebody yes. and, and learn, you know, learn what is it that, that maybe keeps them at, at night that's right. And be able to collab- collaborate. What's important to them operationally, and how that um, how that impacts compliance and vice versa. Yeah, because if you can understand what they're doing, then there's subtle opportunities where you can um, kind of use what motivates their day to day work um, and piggyback compliance initiatives on that. But you have to understand what they do. Um, and I really like what you said about getting on agendas. I've, I've written before that compliance doesn't happen in a corner, meaning you have to get out of your office. You have to, you know, you have oh, to, absolutely. you know, you have to be on those agendas and on those meetings. And so people, like you mentioned, one can can observe your authenticity and your genuine concern, uh, but also that you can learn what's going on in the organization. You know, you mentioned um, yeah a lot of education. Well, I was just going to say, and you can't. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add, if I can, you can't be shy about that either, but yeah. you don't want to be aggressive. No, that's right. So, you know, there's, it's a, it's a, it's a really fine line in terms of getting yourself on those agendas. Yeah. It's kind of like an art, right? You can't, um, yeah. Cause if you push yourself too hard, people might clam up and, and then you never get on there. So that's a great, that's a great point. Um, you know, you mentioned a lot of education as a way to engage senior leadership. You know, I always took the approach, I'd be interested if, if you found success in this way, of I would rather um, have an opportunity to be on an agenda for some education like four times a year for 15 minutes each than once a year for an hour. Um, now, obviously, I'd like to have even more time than that. But the point being is I think it's, it's frequent education that's not overwhelming. Uh, and I wonder if that, when you mentioned that uh, one of the ways to engage senior leadership is a lot of education, do you find that to be true or do you have other strategies or thoughts on, on how to go about educating? No, we're on the same page there because I was saying earlier that, you know, the information that you give, whether it's education or just guidance, needs to be relevant and meaningful and ongoing. So, if you wait a year to give information about exactly. a, let's say a special fraud alert that came out eight months ago, right. you're not, you know, how, how relevant, how relevant is that? So I, you know, I think frequent short occasion is critical. And I've always, um, it, in my life as a, as a compliance officer, I've always included on a standing agenda for compliance committees, uh, you know, whether it be a five, 10 minute educational yeah. topic. Yeah, absolutely. What a great idea. That kind of segues into my next question a little bit about kind of best practices regarding compliance committee materials. You mentioned the agenda, um, but can you mention some other important materials like maybe a charter? Some, you know, A lot of new compliance um, professionals aren't aware of the importance of a compliance committee charter. You mentioned the agenda, minutes, other communications. Can you talk a little bit about those materials sure. that go with a compliance committee? Yeah, sure. So the charter, I agree with you, is so important. I mean, it's the sort of constitution yes. for the for the compliance committee. Yes. You know, so it really lays out, um, you know, I think there's a handful of pertinent pieces that need to go into a charter. You want to be able to lay out by position at a minimum who, not by name, but by position, who needs to be on the committee. Yeah. You know, because 
keep you know people people move into different roles all the time. You don't want to be updating your charter all the time. Any, any examples? And you really want to get across. Yeah, you, I was just going to say um, you want to get a cross section of operational areas because okay. that's your sort of captive audience. That's where you have. You know, instead of having siloed meetings with different operational areas, you've got everybody there. So I normally, you know, I would always include, oh gosh, somebody from senior management, yes. uh, IT, HR, yep. um, medical staff, nursing, clinical reimbursement. Yes. Um, if you have a legal, uh, in-house legal representative, um, let's see, what am I forgetting? Yeah, those are all great ones. I well, mean, you, a, men- you mentioned reimbursement. Start, yeah, yeah, I always remember like, Having a CFO, and you know, there's different levels of committees. I think depending on the size of your organization. I was in one organization that had, you know, almost twenty thousand employees, and our budget was over a billion dollars a year for the organization. So it's huge, and we had like a senior compliance committee, and then they had subcommittees like a privacy committee, a reimbursement committee, a research committee. Um, and so I think depending on the level of the committee might also affect the level of the people you involve, right? Right. And that, you know, that goes to the charter as well, because you want to have the charter uh, authorize the committee to create subcommittees and task forces. Okay. So even if an issue comes up, it could be some sort of crisis intervention. Well, I don't want to say crisis intervention. Let's say, uh, you know, the government comes in and performs an audit and you need a team to report up to that committee, they can at least authorize. So you're not getting into the weeds at the committee level. Gotcha. Especially if it's a large, especially if it's a larger organization. Yeah. So another example, like, you know, you may want to have like a subcommittee that reviews the audits and the monitoring results. So they can look at things like the details of sample size and follow up on on corrective action and then just report up at a higher level at the committee. And I, I think the committee members really appreciate that, that they're not getting you know, inundated with lots of uh, details that they really don't need to know. Right. Um, one thing I've seen in, in charters sometimes is some sort of um, like scope authority so that it'll say the, the compliance committee has authority to review any document in the organization or it sets out things like that so that, you know, if, if the compliance committee feels like you need to do an audit or an investigation, it has the authority to go where it needs to go. Is that something that you've seen in charters as well? I am thinking, I don't know that I've actually put that in a charter. Okay. Um, and, you know, that's an interesting one because I think there are some items that you may not, that may be under attorney-client privilege. Okay, good point. That you may not want, you know, you might not want to provide to yeah. to the committee. Um, so I think, I mean, I think it could be worded in a way that that would, take care of that issue as well. Yeah, good point. Yeah, if, you, if you're working on an investigation and you, you've deemed that you need to, you know, get privileged and you don't want to have that privilege uh, be in jeopardy for sure. Tell me a little bit about right. agenda. And you give a... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, tell me a little bit about agendas and, and minutes. What are you, What's some recommendations there? Some people, I know on minutes, they say the shorter, the better. Um but isn't that a delicate balance between demonstrating that the committee is making important decisions, but also, um, I don't know, do you want to not have it too in-depth? Tell me what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I actually take my own notes during meetings. I usually do have a staff member taking them as well, but there might be little nuances that I catch. But 
to your specific question, I think it's really important just to take to to not get too long winded with minutes. Uh, you don't want anything in the minutes that can come back and and hurt the organization. You want to be able to just portray the intent and the flavor of the discussion, and then most importantly, the results. Okay. So if there's a big com, yeah, if there's a long conversation. I mean you don't have to reflect who said what, and I would suggest not to, okay. but, but to at least get the flavor and give the results of what the outcome of that discussion was. Great. Um, the, the other piece there is that you've got to move, you know, as a chairperson in the meeting itself, you want to move people on. A lot of times you, yes. you know, conversations, <laughs> you know, yes. get a little, um, I don't know. I don't want to say heated, but you know, there's you know, people have opinions. Yeah, and you've got to move move that along. Also, you know, delicate balance of not being too aggressive, but controlling. You know, at yeah. least controlling the agenda because you you want to end on time. That was my next. And you question. want to give people the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That was my next question. Is you know, in your experience, you know, what have you seen as generally effective times? You know. Is it an hour? If you're going over an hour, do you need to say, look, we need to reevaluate this and, and um, or, you know, are you, you up for marathon meetings? What are your thoughts on just kind of general time frame? So what I've done in the past is I like to incentivize people to want to come. And especially in, in our busy world, a lot of people maybe are skipping lunch, whatever. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll create the meeting for an hour and a half, but I'll serve lunch. Okay. So, you know, people like to come to meetings where there's food. Yeah, but, say, um, I'll, I'll come I to your next found, meeting. <laughs> um, but no, I found actually an hour and a half to be a, a good amount of time okay. uh, to, to get what you need to, to go. Um, and do you recommend that these committees meet once a quarter, once a month? I've seen, you know, frequently, once as frequent as once a month. But what are your thoughts on kind of the the frequency of, of, of the compliance committee? Yeah, it really depends on what stage you are in your compliance program. So what I've normally done, going back to the charter, is include the frequency, the minimum frequency with which the committee has to meet, okay. which I recommend it at a quarterly. Okay. And then if, if you need to have meetings more often, especially if you're rolling out a new initiative or you you've reconstituted your committee, yes. you know, you may want to meet or, or you're getting ready for, oh, I don't know, you know, a potential uh, corporate integrity agreement. Yes. You know, you certainly want to have, right, you know, a source situation, but um, you know, then you want to have meetings more often, but the charter at least will, will sort of mandate that it be no, no less frequently than, than um, quarterly. quarterly. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Any other thoughts on, on this general topic of kind of the materials? Uh, we've talked about charter, agenda, minutes. Any, anything else in that area that you want to maybe mention? Yeah, I think, you know, with the committee, it's really important to ask for a resolution as the, as the chairperson. Uh, you know, lots of times, like I was saying earlier, you know, discussions will go on and on, and you want to have some kind of decisive end result to that discussion if there has to be forward movement. So I'll normally say, well, is, you know, somebody will give an opinion. I think we need to do X, Y, and Z. Somebody else agrees. I'll specifically say, is there a resolution? And then, you know, that's been documented in the minutes. Okay. And then you know that there's going to be follow-up. 
Because I think the worst thing, you know, is to have this conversation, come up with great ideas, not follow up. And then because you want to follow up on that next meeting, too, and then report back to the committee what the resolution was. That's right. Yeah. Good point. And that, you know, to to um, the point of effectiveness, those types of things will then demonstrate the effectiveness of that committee if you're ever, you know, uh, heaven forbid you're you're being investigated or something and you have to kind of demonstrate that your compliance program is generally effective. Um, those types of things that you just mentioned, I think, tell the story over a period of time that the committee is engaged and it's not just some sort of window dressing. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me ask kind of another question, switching gears just slightly. Um, can you think of any scenarios or hypothetical situations that... Um, demonstrates kind of the effective use of committee members to operationalize solutions to tough compliance issues. So, you know, the black and white things we, we get, those are easy answers, right? You can't do this, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about mm-hmm. some tougher scenarios? Are there anything, any scenarios that come to mind that, that you think that the committee could help operationalize? Yeah, that's actually, that's a good question. A few things come into mind, but one that is sort of out of the box. I was um, I was involved with an organization that had a, a large uh, corporate compliance headquarters. Okay. And there was a contract management system that just wasn't working for the local entity, which was a very large portion of the corporate entity. And it had been a topic that had, you know, was on physician contract management. Okay. And so, of course, you know, as compliance, we... Myself, my team, I mean, we were monitoring the, you know, through audits, internal audits, we were monitoring compliance with, with the contract management protocols. Okay. Anyway, fast forward, the statistics weren't that good. And we were finding, too, that in actually reviewing contracts, that there were a lot of inefficiencies. It was, um, there were too many people involved across the organization. And we just, it, it, it was not... It was not working as a process for that particular location. Okay. And I brought the issue to the committee, but rather than focusing on the compliance piece of it, mm-hmm. I talked a lot. I interviewed a number of people beforehand that had a piece of that pie, so to speak, from the time, let's say, that a contract was being submitted to legal, okay. what the administrative assistants were involved with, you know, how long it was taking. And I had a very good picture to present to all of the different committee members about the operational inefficiencies uh-huh. and some of and some of the results, how we compare to other organizations within the big corporation. Gotcha. And our numbers were not good. Okay. Yeah, they didn't like that. Yes. So I mean, that was a, a that's a great example, and and the end result was that they really took ownership. The, com- the compliance committee took ownership. And had and gave us authority to bring in a performance improvement team mm-hmm. and really look at the details of the system and then, you know, get involved at the corporate level. Yes. And it took, you know, it, it was about a six month, six to eight month project. But I actually wound up presenting to the um, executive uh, finance committee and getting authorization for a separate department wow. with two new full-time, yeah, two new full-time employees. I mean, it was needed. It was something that was absolutely needed. Right. But nobody, you know, like 
nobody really knew to the extent of how inefficient it was it was working at the, at that time. Yes. So that that would be the best example that yeah, I can think that's, of. That's a great example, you know. And I think kind of going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning about who to put on the committee, you know, if if you have the right players on that committee, then they already have the background and they already know what needs to be done because they've been in the meetings and they've been listening and they can at least give what I always call the halo effect that, you know, they're the leaders and they can tell their, their subordinates, you know, this is an initiative we are going to do. And, and so you kind of get this operational support uh, as opposed to the compliance officer trying to go around and convert people uh, to, you know, exactly the message, Uh, you know, it was a committee decision that, makes a compliance officer's life so much easier, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And you can see, I love, I love that expression, the halo effect, because you can actually see it happening to yes. members, you know, <laughs> when issues come up that really involve their areas, like just sort of like ding, you know, like all of a sudden the, yeah. the lights go on. Yeah. I, you know, I always think of, in particular, one committee I served on, um, we had the, the head of the revenue cycle there. And so, um, Obviously, revenue cycle and, and billing and coding concerns and those types of things with, with compliance are uh, top of mind at most hospitals um, and providers. And I just remember we worked together so well that most of the time we kind of figured out a solution before we got to the committee. We just got to the committee and they just needed to approve it because the key players were already there. And it just when it worked, it worked so beautifully. That is nice. And that you bring up another point. What I what I try to do, if I think there's um, a situation that there may be some disagreement about amongst the leaders, I try to have, you know, I give people a heads up beforehand about what the discussions will be. Yes. So there's no surprise. So there's no surprises. Yeah. There. And you get to know the personalities of the people. And, you know, some people like um, data up front. Some people like to digest that data after the meeting. I mean, you start to get to know people and know what their leadership styles are. And then you can, like you said, kind of cater to, uh, to those people. So there aren't surprises and that the the committee decision-making process runs smoothly based off of kind of preferences. Um, we're getting a little bit low on time, but I wanted to ask you another question. Uh, um, so let's say you've been in an organization and you have had a, a, a pretty good compliance committee. It's the same players though, and they've been on it and you're kind of maybe in a rut. Mm. Any thoughts on how, how you can re-energize an existing compliance committee? If, if you feel like, you know, you've done a lot of the heavy lifting, but it's been years and, and you need some energy. Any thoughts? Yeah, actually. Yeah. I, I just had a client um, where I did that. I looked at, you know, I went to a committee meeting and they were sort of not energized. Um, but, I looked at the composition, I looked at the charter, and I recognized that they really needed to have uh, a f- infusion of some new blood. Okay. And met with, the C- met with the CEO, and we looked at the org chart, and we talked about different, different people, different roles, what perhaps we could change within the committee to re-energize it. And, um, you know, really deleted some people that weren't, um, it, in the appropriate roles okay. on the committee and vice versa. We added other people. But what I was able to do is have the invitation for this sort of re-energized, newly formed committee come from the CEO. Nice. So it showed that, yeah, so it showed that the CEO was, um, it was engaged, basically, yeah, you know, that, that he had support for the committee. 
and had a whole new orientation. We revised the charter, got input from all of the new members after the orientation okay. on the charter, you know, and had them actually provide the input and approve it. Yes. And just really, you know, changed changed around the whole formatting of it and the style to, you know, basically all the things that we just talked about. Right. Uh, in terms of moving moving items along, giving them education, making it relevant. And within a few months, there was there was a, bit, a significant change in their engagement. That's great. You know, I think sometimes just that fresh set of eyes. Um, you know, if you've if you've looked at compliance the same way for five six years. You know, it's it's nice to have an extra set of eyes that is seeing uh, solutions from a fresh perspective, and and you you know you uh, can sometimes great, get great solutions just because you have a new set of eyes looking at it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that brings that absolutely. energy. Well, this has been great, Judith. Um, I, I want to give you any uh, a few minutes just for any last minute comments or thoughts that you could maybe wrap up this whole concept. Obviously, we could talk for hours. And I think you guys did talk for hours. You had an extended session at the HCCA, if I, if I remember right. Um, any last-minute thoughts or feelings on the compliance committee? Yeah, I'll, I'll sort of end up as I started where I really believe they could be your best friend yep. and that they are a source, not a source. I would say they're a resource for moving operations um, more actively and that, oh gosh, and I, and I think that, you know, one committee in an organization may totally vary from another committee yeah. in an organization, depending on size and culture. So, you know, in some committees, you want the CEO to be there as yes. your senior <laughs> leader representative, right? Yes. Now, in other in other organizations like the one that you <laughs> described earlier, the really large one, um, the yep. CEO is, is not going to attend and you're going to have, you know, maybe more middle management folks right. at those committees and have different, you know, different types of committees. So we all, I think as compliance officers, we have to be flexible to the culture and to the organizational needs. Yeah. We can't just dictate this is the way it is and, and, and have a bright line. That's a great point. You know, and I work with clients who are on the very small side as well, and they might not have enough people for a large committee too. So you have to take, like you said, the size of the organization into account, the culture uh, and what they're trying to accomplish. So great, great advice, mm -hmm. Judith. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you. Um, oh, this has been great. Yeah, we appreciate your, your expertise in this area. Um, and we I enjoyed this very much. Good, thank you. We wish you a good day and uh, we wish all of our listeners a good day and happy compliance. Till next time, everyone. Bye bye. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.